0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: This week's episode of the Grange Point is a live broadcast version recorded on the 12th of April at Y. St. Melbourne's Open Day. It featured a panel of four contestants competing with Lauren and myself as MCs in front of a live audience, taking audience participations and questions. This will be part one of a multi-part special of this live episode of LaGrange Point, so tune in and enjoy the show. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to our lovely LaGrange Point panel show. Now, this is going to be an interesting look at some entertaining parts of science. We're going to focus on some myth conceptions that people might have about the way science works, and some scientific facts that might not entirely be true. We'll also have some deconstruction of some odd career turns that famous scientists have taken over the course of their careers. We'll also look at some really unusual research that has been done, and some crazy scientific projects that people have managed to get organised. Um, on our panel, we have a variety of people who have been involved in organising our podcast and presenting our podcast over the last year, and, it, and have also come from a range of diverse backgrounds in science and engineering. Uh, myself, is my name is Justin, I'm a former president, social coordinator, webmaster, and a number of other things from this organisation. I've been here for a very long time, but I, I spend most of my days as a professional engineer, and I work primarily in the water industry. We also have...
0: Hi, I'm Lauren. I also help produce the um, YSA's podcast, LaGrange Point. Um, I'm studying currently second year at Monash University, and I'm really interested in genetics. Um, Now we're going to pass you on to some of our amazing panellists.
2: Hi guys, my name's Lachlan. I study chemistry and immunology, and I like cancer research.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Monique, and I'm studying aerospace engineering and science at Monash
2: Hi guys, I'm James, I'm studying Engineering, Physics and Maths at Monash. Hi guys, I'm Phil, I'm studying at Monash and I'm doing... <laughs> the- <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm majoring in Zoology and Geoscience.
1: So that's that's our panel that we have involved today. Um, we covered a bit of different coverage areas in science and a few engineers as well. Um, unfortunately for those playing along at home, my like, alumni of University was Monash. So. This <laughs> completes the trifecta. Six in a row. Of five.
2: Six. Um, Six.
1: It's not Six. going well for my scorekeeper. <laughs> now. <laughs> now, this will be a game show, so there will be correct answers. There will be points awarded. Now, we will have prizes for the winner here, but there will also be winners from the audience who will be asked to be involved as we go through for today's show. So... We're going to kick off by moving into our first section. Now, this section is called Myth Conceptions. And in Myth Conceptions, we actually deconstruct different ideas in science that people might have gotten wrong. Now, people will be awarded correctly uh, points for answering with the correct answer. But because these are things that are misunderstood, there are many incorrect answers, which you will be docked points if you say it. Um, There will also be answers for points for entertaining facts throughout this. So Lauren and I will be taking turns hosting this as we move through, and our panelists will be buying from the of points. And we're going to kick it off by looking at our first question. And this one's really quite straightforward. You've just gotten home from a long, busy day, school or work, and you've made yourself a cup of tea to sit down and watch on your lovely plasma screen TV your latest episode of your favourite BBC panel show. And when you're sitting there watching it on this massive TV with your cup of tea... A meteorite comes crashing down through the roof and leans next to you on the couch. So my question to you all is, what is the most, or well, what is the hottest thing in that room? Me! Unfortunately, Lachlan, you are at about 37.8 degrees Celsius, and whilst that is quite warm, that is not necessarily the hottest thing in that room. Speak for yourself, Justin. In absolute temperature words. <laughs> what other ideas do we have here for things that would be potentially really hot in that room? Now, keep in mind, we have a, a kettle, a, a cup of tea, um, and, of course, the plasma screen TV, and the meteorite.
2: So, uh, uh, James, what do you think would be the hottest? Uh, I reckon if you had a meteorite drop through into mean, your couch, you'd probably be a bit distracted, but I reckon, given it to make a large hole in the roof, there would knock some beams down, they'd knock the kettle over, so all the water would spill out of the kettle. So the water in the kettle wouldn't be that hot anymore. So
1: therefore,
2: I think the hottest thing would probably be the plasma screen TV. That's a very elaborate scenario (laughs) constructed in your mind, and whilst
1: good, I feel that a plasma screen can only get around to fifty degrees Celsius. Now, plasma screens are quite hot. Most TVs nowadays are LCD, but plasma screens were generating about about half the heat that a normal heater would use. So if you're ever cold, turn on your old plasma TV and warm up your house. But no, that's about 50 degrees, so probably not quite even factoring in uh, the spilled kettle factor. Camille.
0: Wouldn't it be like the meteorite that's just crashed into your room? Because, you know, it would have gotten a lot of heat as it went through the atmosphere, surely.
1: Now, pretty much we're setting up with a meteorite that's coming through space as the most obvious hottest thing in this room. I think that was pretty clear. But uh, unfortunately, the meteorite would have actually been cold to touch. Now, bear with me on this, because it might seem a bit strange. But when you've actually come through the atmosphere, the heating up on re-entry that you're all familiar with, that flaming stuff on the side of spaceships, that's only at the upper air atmosphere. And what causes that, we'll talk about later, but um, it's only at the top level of the atmosphere. The remaining of the 60,000 feet that you're falling to the ground, or 12,000 kilometres, It's just very, very cold air. That air that we have that makes snow and rain and all those other things. So by the time the meteorite hits the ground, it's actually icy, cold to touch, frozen. People have actually had meteorites fall through their rooms, land on their couches, and picked it up in their hands and be quite, quite cold.
0: I have a bit of a question, though. I mean, you keep mentioning the words meteor and meteorite. Uh, Isn't there a difference between, for example, them and an asteroid?
1: Yeah, so, Pata, what is the difference between an asteroid, meteor, and a meteorite? I know.
0: Wouldn't it be the size... The size of the meteorite and the meteorite.
1: I'm going to have to docking points to that one, because whilst size seems like a good characteristic, um, we've actually had really big things come to the Earth. For example, the massive crater that took
2: out the dinosaurs. So, no, asteroids. Anyone have a guess for the difference between asteroids, meteor, or meteorite? See, I reckon size does matter, but it's not the only thing in the equation. Um, see, so you've got the asteroid belt. So, I think asteroids are in space. And then, okay, I play a lot of Pokemon, and this move Meteor Shower is when it hits the ground and kills all the Pokemon. Which means, I reckon, Meteorites are when it's in the atmosphere, and then a Meteor is when it starts catching on fire and is actually going to the ground.
1: That is 100% correct. From Pokemon, no less. <laughs> I, I didn't know Pokemon had so many scientific facts. But there you go. Lachlan's obsessive playing over the past 12 years of Pokemon has him with some... Limited benefits. (laughs) So yeah, that's right, meteoroids are actually... uh, Asteroids are ones in space, in the solar system. Meteorites are when they enter the atmosphere of a planet. And meteors are actually only when they get a tail. So if stuff comes off from debris and forms a tail, like that of a comet, then, and only then, is it a meteor. Otherwise, it's just a plain old meteorite. So you don't pick up a meteor in your hand, because hopefully it's not still tailing, because that would be kind of weird. And on fire, um, but meteorite is what you actually pick up in your hand. So no, there you go. You have 100% right, thanks to Charizard.
2: Why are we cl- clap Charizard? Okay. <laughs> okay. Next one. Next, one. Next one? Yeah.
0: Okay. So our second question. So we've been talking about asteroids and space and things. What was, the hottest? What was that? Oh, the hottest thing. In case it
1: wasn't evident, the, the kettle. Um, the kettle is in fact the hottest thing. Um, because meteorite is cool to touch Plasma screen is about 50 degrees Human body is 37.8 Putting all those together Sorry, a kettle at 100 degrees is the warmest Even if it's being knocked over and spilled change. So I think we'll, we'll have Kettle's honest this there And we'll move on back into our second question So
0: in sticking with our space themes And our meteorites, me- meteorites What is it that actually causes A meteorite or a spaceship To heat up on entry into
2: um, the Earth's
0: atmosphere, magic. <laughs> Isn't it? Because it's going really, really fast, and when things go fast, they get hotter. Like
1: well, have you ever seen stu- the
0: race cars and they've got the flames coming out of the back? Like they're moving really fast.
1: I think you may have been watching one too many children's cartoons. <laughs> um, have you ever stuck your hand outside of the car window?
0: Yes. Has it caught cool fire when you do that? Maybe.
1: No, it hasn't. <laughs> Good to know. No, um, no, it's not actually to do with the speed. In fact, it's nothing to do with that at all. Any other ideas? I- isn't it friction, then? Well, friction is basically if you have an abrasive surface and you rub something over it. So what is it rubbing against?
2: Um, it's rubbing... So the air or the atmosphere, um, in this case, is rubbing against the surface of the object.
1: Okay, now, one of the things that so this happens where? On, on Earth? Yeah, but like like whereabouts in the atmosphere.
2: Oh, this is happening in the very... the upper... Right, area. so
1: at the top. Now, at the top of part of the atmosphere, it's really, really sparse. There's not much air to breathe. If you actually went up there in a hot air balloon or in a plane, you would really struggle to breathe the air. So it's not actually... there's not enough air density there to actually really have friction being a major factor there. What's actually happening is, at the front of your spaceship or object, or something coming in, it's a thing called adiabatic compression. And what that really means is the air is being squeezed really, really tightly and is under a lot of pressure and is moving really quickly to get out of the way of the spaceship head going through it. So when you're actually chugging through it, you're actually squeezing and smashing the air particles really similar to that inside a piston of an engine. So that process that's happening inside a piston of an engine is happening at the front of your spaceship as the air gets smashed and rushes past. And that process is what's actually causing the heat up. So sticking with the atmosphere, um, and this is quite entertaining, Where does the atmosphere actually end? Or start, for that matter? So where does the atmosphere end? So where does space begin? (laughs) Well yes, it does begin up. I'll I'll grant you, but how far?
2: 70,000
1: metres. That is the definition of space required to
2: be an astronaut. So if
1: you go above 70,000 metres according to NASA, that will make you an astronaut. But, sorry to tell you this, and this might shock all of your worlds, most astronauts then, by that classification, have not actually been to space. The atmosphere ends somewhere around 140,000 kilometers above the Earth, which is more than even NASA's definition for space. And sadly, it means that good old Felix, Felix Baumgartner, the, the Red Bull skydiver, he didn't actually dive from space. He just dived from 36,000 meters, which is not even close to the 120 or 140,000 kilometers
2: to be in the edge of space. That jerk lied to me. What a jerk. I'm sorry. not
0: always true. But Wait, so you're saying that
2: you don't need to go to space to be an astronaut? Yeah. That's right. That's disgusting.
1: <laughs> you just need a really tall hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so
0: have to. Right. In keeping with the whole red bull idea, um, literally, why does a bull charge a matador when they're waving a red flag or
2: a cape? Because the matador sticks its Stuck
1: sword in the side of it? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I'll,
2: I'll give you inf- points for that. Any other reasons why the, ma- the the bulls are charging at the matador with red? Isn't red like um a, a, tr- a trigger colour for bulls? Like, aren't they trained to recognise red and to attack red?
1: That's I've got a really shocking out. fact for you. Bulls are, in fact, colourblind.
0: Isn't the reason why they have the red is so that the audience around it can actually see what's happening, well, that, and to make <laughs> it look better? I'm pretty sure.
1: <laughs> that, like. that, that's true. So that's why the maned will have red, but the bulls themselves—they're colourblind. They only see in monochromatic tones. They don't actually discern. they can not even discern the colour red. So the red has nothing to do with the actual the actual charging of the bulls, which is really funny. So um, with that, I think we'll give Camille the, the the points for actually acknowledging the fact that the red is mostly there for show. And James for identifying that, yeah, really, that mostly the swords stabbed in their sides uh, are yeah. probably more the cause of the bull's alarm and distress. So we'll move on to the to another question. Um,
0: okay, so imagine this. Your brother is out and has left you to watch his kids but you decide to play a prank on him by giving his kids sugar. What will happen? Nothing. When they get really hyped up with all the sugar? <laughs>
1: That's for Camille, not James. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry, James. So James, James, you reckon nothing. Yeah. What's your rationale? Because I've seen people on a whole lot of sugar and not much happens. That's anecdotal, that's not empirical evidence, James. <laughs> what? what if I were deliberately getting deliberately feeding them sugar to see what happened? That's unethical. <laughs> Get better testing methods. And you're wrong anyway, because if you feed them sugar, then they're going to actually have cellular processes to pro- to break down that sugar and get ATP. So yeah, you're saying so you're they're going to be food. more tired? No, they're just going to have a little bit more. Like they're not going to have more energy. Like, they're not going to be hyperactive, but they're going to have more energy. If you eat sugar, not nothing happens. There's an important biochemical process that's happening.
1: Actually, I've got to agree with Lachlan here. Not nothing does happen.
2: That being said, if you sit breathing, the same, sim- similar, very similar um, chemical processes also happen, and that is usually the definition of doing nothing. That's true. Anyway, <laughs>
1: well, a philosophical debate about this aside, double-blind studies have actually been done on giving sugar to children. So, I'm sorry, Lachlan, they have actually tested this with empirical evidence. Um, but they fed children sugar and non-sugar and observed the reaction. And what I love about this story is that they they fed it to the children and they also told the parents. They controlled even for the parental factor. So then they said to the parents, "We've given your children sugar when they hadn't given them any, and vice versa." Which is how you do a double-blind study. And the results came back completely inconclusive. There was no impact of sugar. What it in fact said that is when the parents thought that their kids were going to be hyperactive, they were more likely to rate their children as hyperactive after they'd given them the sugar. But the sugar was purely per sleeper. Like, if, if they hadn't, if they gave the children sugar but didn't tell the parents, the, cho- the parents thought the children were behaving fine. So it just goes to show that uh, the children themselves aren't necessarily the cause of uh, the hyperactivity in the sh- from sugar.
0: I'm just asking because I know a lot of parents out there don't give their kids sugar because they think that it doesn't... Um that adding sugar to things isn't okay. Does it actually have any nutritional
2: value? Yeah, as I said before, like sugar is important. We need sugar to be alive. Like It's, it's an important source of energy. We've evolved to adapt and, and take that. It's up
0: the top of the uh, food chain. That makes it the best part of
2: the food pyramid. Food
0: pyramid,
1: yeah. yeah. So that pyramid means that it's required, but not in large amounts. Yeah,
2: yeah. All
1: right, so you're pretty simple. that. actually is a pretty good, correct response there. So I will give um, both Lachlan and Monique Sharing points. Yeah! All right, and that brings us to the end of our first round. Um, And the bad news from all of that, though, however, is um, that the the scores so far do suggest that Lachlan is not doing too well, but everyone else seems to be doing fine. We're going to involve the next part of the question, which will involve audience participation, and this one will involve basically some fast, false scientific facts.
0: This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point.
1: That was part one of our live audience version of LaGrange Point. So Stay tuned next week for part two, where we continue looking at some odd career turns and some fast false facts of scientific research.
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.